Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns this morning are they, them. And today I'm talking to Liam and Chris, two members of the San Gennaro Co-op, a new cooperative organization in the tabletop RPG publishing industry. It's a pleasure to meet you both. Um, would you mind introducing yourselves to our listeners? Sure. Uh, I am Liam. Uh, pronouns today are he, him, and they. I have been designing role-playing games and board games to some degree for about six or seven years now. Um, I am one of the designers at Sandy Pug Games. Our most recent thing that anyone may have heard of us from is uh, a game called Americana, which we uh, kick-started a couple of months ago. And before that, there was a game called Orc Stabber, which also did friends. Uh, I'm Chris Falco, uh, pronouns he, him. Um, I've been playing RPGs uh, for about 20-ish years at this point. Uh, I've only really gotten into design recently. Um, the co-op's really the first major um, uh, thing beyond like the community content type programs you get, like the Storyteller's Vault. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Very uh, interesting uh, sort of uh, mix of experience there. Um, so normally we start with a question about, you know, how you got into RPGs. But I think perhaps for today, it will be more useful to start off by asking, what is the San Gennaro Co-op? Because I hadn't heard about it until uh, someone from your organization emailed me to ask me to interview. Um, and you sent some very wonderful uh, information. I was like, oh, wow, I've, I hadn't heard of this organization, but I recognize some of the people involved. And so I was really interested and like that really caught my eye um, because it sounded like such an interesting idea. So can you expand a little bit on what the co-op is? Um, sure. Um so the co-op really began, it, it's not super shocking that you haven't heard of us just yet because I think we're very, very new. Um, our first product isn't quite out yet and we're kind of like trying to drum up a little bit of buzz about it. But uh, it began a couple of months ago in uh, Olivia Hill's Discord. Um, Olivia Hill is a fairly well-known RPG uh, writer, worked on uh, some White Wolf products and a bunch of other. We actually have an um, interview with Olivia. There you go. <laughs> Um, fantastic person. Um, and their discord is just full of, um, all sorts of great, um, really intelligent, really, um, excited, lots of new designers that really haven't cut their teeth on a lot. And we, we were sort of lamenting the state of the industry, um, it's pay and it's treatment of workers and what have you. And, um, being the, the dirty communists that we all are, we were all talking about, you know, the, the need for unions and more cooperative working. And so sort of together, we all kind of decided, well, why not start now? Um, and that's really where, where the, the co-op began. Um, we decided to begin work on a project, the Short Games Digest, uh, which would be a collection of, of short games by both, you know, established and new writers. And we all kind of worked together to build that. And, and that's, that's kind of the genesis of the idea. Um, since that conversation, um, it's sort of become a little bit more expansive. It sort of works as a community for cooperative work on various different projects with a focus toward profit sharing and mentorship and skills building and networking and that sort of thing. Oh, wow. That's 
pretty fantastic. So, Chris, I assume that you heard about this through that Discord, or did you come f- to this organization differently? Um, well, I guess you could say I was in basically the uh, the second wave of people joining the co-op. Um, Olivia had posted on Twitter about the uh, Discord, and uh, I think a little bit about the co-op at the time, and um, I was just reconnecting with her in the first place, so... I joined up and I saw what they were doing and I was all, hey, this looks awesome. Can I join? And, and here you I'm are. Fine. Yeah. Uh, cool. There's so much there that I want to uh, tear into and uh, ask more about. But uh, I think to begin with, let's go into our standard questions to help build a bit more background on who uh, each of you are. Uh, and then we'll come back around because I'm very interested in how the... I'm particularly interested in the profit-sharing stuff. But to begin with, how did each of you first become interested in tabletop role-playing games? Chris, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I started tabletop RPGs when I was, I want to say, I was like 10 or 11. I got the Dungeons & Dragons 3rd edition like uh, starter box set and... Um, I immediately became hooked with pretty much everything about it. I didn't have a lot of people to play it with because not many other people, especially at that age, were into it yet. Um, and then from there, I want to say I started getting into the more uh, like horror-oriented or gothic-type RPGs around when I was just getting out of high school is when I discovered a World of Darkness, both new and old. And I've been playing that for a while, and since then I've branched out i've tried a bunch of different you know indie rpgs and stuff like that um i know i've really enjoyed like uh fate dreamscape uh laruna a few other things along those lines um and yeah i've just been lately wanting to get more and more into the actual design process behind it you know i've always done homebrew type stuff here and there but it's only recently that i've wanted to start getting published to actually put official you know buy it work out there yeah, wow, wonderful. And yourself, Lynn? I started playing D&D, I think, relatively late compared to some of my peers. I, I was um, about 17, I think, when I first bought um, the D&D 3.5 or so. And um, we, I, I, I offered to, to GM for a couple of friends who were somewhat interested and took sort of one look at the book and went, oh, I can't figure this out. And... Um, <laughs> kind of winged it for a couple of weeks um, until that group fell apart. But after that, the, uh, the, the, the idea kind of stuck with me and I've, I've had some degree of a game running ever since then. Um, I left D and D fairly quickly. Um, although I, I fell in love with it again with fourth edition um, and went right into indie games way back when. Um, and I just, I love, I love discovering new systems. I love playing around in new worlds I started designing games, as I say, about six or seven years ago. I used to do uh, board game design primarily, but eventually pivoted into role-playing game design after I picked up Dungeon World and sort of was entranced by its uh, playbook-based system and how easy it was for someone to pick up you know, an editable playbook and knock together a new class and just sort of play around with it in a very visceral way. And it's just kind of expanded from there. The last year has been really big for Sandy Pug games. Um, we had a Kickstarter with Orc Stabber, 
that did very well. And that enabled me to make a slightly bigger Kickstarter with a slightly bigger game concept for Americana. And that in turn has sort of allowed me to, to engage in a lot of different projects like the San Janeiro co-op and other things. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful. Well, I mean, that kind of answers my second question of, you know, uh, when did you first start getting interested in games? You've both sort of already addressed that, which is wonderful. Um, so I guess now let's, let's talk a bit more about the uh, co-op. Um, what, I mean, for many people, they probably don't know what a co-op is. I have some awareness of what one is. Um, could I, behoove you to tell us a bit more about what exactly a co-op is or what its origins and historical precedents might be? Sure. Um, well, it, it very, at the very basic root, it's an organization where everybody working there has a equal say in the operations of the business. I think at a fundamental level, there's a lot of different ways to run a co-op, but that's, that's basically it. And in addition to that, um, you know, Co-ops tend to be, like I say, fairly leftist in their design. They have fairly flat uh, management structures. Um, they're often community-focused. Um, often, you know, I guess, I guess you would say in this climate, sort of explicitly political. Um, that you know, they're often they often exist to to make a point just as much as actually produce the product that they're trying to produce. Yeah, interesting. So. Everyone has equal say in your co-op, I, I, at the very least. So uh, how exactly does that end up functioning? Are there specific roles within the organization? And how do you decide who fulfills them, if that is the case? Well, um, there's a sort of a mentor role that's developed, and those are the people that have the most experience with the uh, tabletop RPG industry. And they are people who will uh, usually come up with a lot of the ideas for the books we're going to do and the projects and, you know, help write up the contracts and all of that. And then just help guide people into how to deal with it. They're not in charge per se, but they do help kind of guide how everything's moving forward. Um, I'm not one of them yet, but Liam is. I suppose I could have let him answer that, but <laughs> it'd be a boring interview if it's just me. Right. And so beyond that, you know, you take whatever role that you're good at. Um, the, the projects we have going right now, it's divided into, you know, the mentor role and then there's writers, artists, editors, whatever you're good at. You can sign up for more than one if you can do more than one. And uh, that affects your parts in the various supplements and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, the, the, the actual roles that are required are very dependent on what the project, you know, we're talking about is. Uh, the heist uh, book that I mentioned earlier, the, the Role Player's Guide to Heist, has a very different requirement set than the um, Short Game Digest because the, the heist thing is essentially just fiction and creative writing rather than um, RPG system, what have you. Um, so what the general sort of walkthrough is someone, not even just necessarily a mentor, although Chris is right, it's usually a mentor that, that comes up with the ideas right now, but anyone can suggest a project and then it's on a purely voluntary basis that other people sign up to it. Um, there is a collective agreement for how shares are distributed and how work will be distributed. Again, the work is entirely voluntary with basically no repercussions at all for you know your 
you, you sort of let us know in advance that you can't finish in time or something like that. Just figure out some way to pick up the slack. As a, um, and m- I think most of the contracts, most of the, the roles so far have kind of stipulated that you'll, you know, promote the project, you'll promote the co-op, and we will all sort of work together to promote your stuff and your work in the co-op. Everything has a basically fair um, share-based thing based on how many pieces of work you contribute to the the project um yeah it's, it's basically it yeah so my my next question was going to be about what the profit sharing looks like so it's based on you did mention just then that it's based on the work that you contribute to a project um mm-hmm. I imagine it's difficult to balance that between different mediums because of the fact that the way you measure those things is so different for different types of uh, well, art. So I'm interested to see how you have approached that. We do have a very um, scientific equation I've heard before that's um, a picture's worth a thousand words. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but more seriously, um, it's usually broken down approximately equivalently um, you know, like a, a writer gets one share per section in a book they do. Um, the artist gets one share per section that they do the art for and so on. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is absolutely true that it is kind of difficult, um, to, to figure out that exactly, but that's kind of why the, the community agreement is so important. That's why it's so important that everybody sort of has a say in what we're doing. Um, I drafted the, contracts for both um the role players guide to heists and the short games digest and i I, you know we we made modifications to those contracts based on people's concerns or people's questions about you know the share system and we're also very open about this being you know an experiment We're, we're, Mm -hmm. we're all very comfortable and very upfront about saying we don't know if what we're doing right now is the best way to do it and we're we're going forward with the earnest you know intention to try to do our best and if we mess up somewhere do it better the next time right now i think that we've got a pretty good system um we we you know as chris said uh authors writers get one share editors tend to get one share for editing a section artists get one share for their art um in the the role players guide to heists there's probably going to be a flat fee for some of the art just because we'll be probably bringing on artists from sandy pug games as well as using artists internally unlike uh well, I guess uh, Short Games Digest also has an external artist that we paid a flat fee to. Um, so yeah, it's it's it is it is a difficult thing. It is something that we're trying to navigate. So do the I'm guessing then that from the sounds of it, the members of the co-op that worked on a project get paid as money for the project comes in because mm-hmm. you're talking yeah. about shares and things, and then you also mentioned flat rates for external contributors. So that's interesting how that could potentially scale. Um, hmm. um, yeah. Are there, I'd be interested to hear what kind of, um, you know, I was going to ask what kind of difficulty you've had with that, but I guess it's kind of new and you haven't even finished publishing the first thing yet, so you probably haven't run into too many difficulties yet almost certainly they're coming almost certainly yeah (laughs) but now it's most oh sorry no go ahead chris i was just gonna say right now the difficulties are mostly figuring out what the difficulties might possibly be and trying to be yeah 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've got a really good group. Um, we've got a, a lot of people who are invested in this as, you know, a, an experiment first and the, the business and profitable side of it second, which is not necessarily, you know, the optimal way we want to go about this event. We, our goal is to make this something that people can actually do as an alternative to the standard studio model. And um, you can look at something like uh, the, the, the role players guide to heists, which I keep talking about, which isn't our flagship project, but it is the one that I'm currently heading and is our second run. So in many ways, it's the slightly more refined model. Mm -hmm. Um, The way how we've gotten that set up, we have a, we're, we're hoping to kickstart it and using that model and using the lessons that we've learned from running the short games digest, you know, I I can give you some ideas about what we're paying people there. Um, For that project, we are estimating that each author will get somewhere in the region of eight cents a word, um, maybe 10 cents a word if we hit some stretch goals, uh, which for reference to anyone listening, that doesn't sound like very much. It isn't very much, but it is about seven cents per word more than a lot of actually established publishers are paying freelancers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like I said, this is a scaling thing. We're hoping to to grow this larger and larger as we go. Yeah, indeed. Um, Yeah, I I heard the... When you said eight cents a word, I immediately thought about the the uh, thing recently where some people are like, oh, we're going to be demanding eight cents per word. And a bunch of other people are like, we don't even get that now. And it's like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> demand more. Um, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, interesting. Very interesting stuff. I guess my next question is um, I wanted to talk – I wanted to talk about the mentoring thing, but I think first it might be interesting to talk about what the composition of the co-op is. So when I heard the name, I assumed that San Gennaro was a place, a city in the United States. It didn't even occur to me to Google it because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sure. I, I feel like I've heard of that place in America before. Yeah, that's where Terminator takes place. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I assumed that you were just a bunch of creators from near there. Um, but what is the actual composition of the co-op? Is it primarily people from the United States? Is it primarily people from a specific demographic within that or is it anyone who clicks the discord link and wants in that's yeah, what i was expecting the answer would be <laughs> there's that there's that junk rat line what a bunch of misfits and freaks that, that that's a good way of summarizing <laughs> it um I, i'd say i'd say our we're a we're a lot of new faces there's a lot of people here who haven't published a game before in the group um i don't think we have any kind of geographic center i, I assume just based on when we talk, probably if there's anything, um, US-based folks are probably dominating the group. But, but I think that that's mainly just because of when and where we post. But like, um, I'm a British immigrant. Um, I, I know we have a bunch of other immigrants and people from different countries who are, who are talking up quite often. Um, the mentors right now um, are a American expat living in Japan, Olivia Hill. Um, me, her wife, Philomena. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think we're a pretty diverse bunch as far as it goes. Yeah, interesting. Um, cool. Well, in that case, I want to talk more about this mentoring uh, thing. So I guess for Chris, what has been your experience of being mentored? 
Um, it's it's not really like this official structured thing. It's more um, it's more like, hey, I don't know if what I'm doing is any good. Can someone help me out with this? And then they look at and say, no, that's terrible. Or okay, actually, no one's ever said that to me. <laughs> to be clear, but or they'll say like, you know, here's a couple of things that might be cool. There are ways to tune it up, that kind of thing. Um, and beyond that, it's a lot of being able to just watch and see how a lot of the business behind it all works because that's all done out in the open. Um, so it's nice to, you get kind of the secondhand experience of how to do everything, what's typical for, you know, getting a book ready and putting it out, that sort of thing. Um, it's been really nice. So, yeah, there's a lot of learning by doing involved in the co-op. Um, cause I think that that's really the best way to learn how to do, especially something like this, a creative, um, you know, a creative field like this. We do all the decisions out in the open, like Chris said, so that people who are new to this can learn from it. But everything from the contracts all the way to, you know, the end point of publishing, it's all set up in a way that means that people who work with us, they see what it, you know, the, the sort of process for how it looks. They learn the, the practical skills of games design by talking to us and working with us and sort of being guided by us um, mentors and not even just mentors. I think a lot of the newer people also have a lot of really good ideas and a lot of good thoughts about how to structure a game. Um, yeah. It, it, like, again, for example, the, the short games digest was set up in many ways so that new, new people can get published and go through a very basic, you know, start to end point of producing a game. Um, when we did the cover, we made sure to, query some of the newer folks to see who wanted their characters on the front cover because that's kind of a cool experience that most new people are just never going to get for a very long time. Um, the Role Player's Guide to Heists is explicitly about walking people through the Kickstarter process. We're going to be talking in that and teaching people about promotion. Uh, we're going to be showing people how to do like each step of Kickstarter, how to price it, etc. Um, even this interview here, you know, the, the reason that we have Chris on right now it, in addition to me is so that Chris gets the experience of, of having podcast interviews, which is a really important part of being a self-promoting um, games designer. We don't want, just want people to be working with the co-op. We don't just want to like have you be a San Gennaro co-op designer. We really want to equip people with the skills needed to excel on their own and do their own projects as well. Yeah. I think that's probably the thing for me that's most uh, interesting about, your organization and what stood out to me immediately um, is the fact that you are helping build these skills. And it's interesting how you said the, uh, one of the purposes of the heist game project is to, is to show the people within the organization how to build a Kickstarter. And so it's interesting how it's both a product to bring in, um, bring in uh, resources for the uh, for the organization and to get people paid and things like that. But it's also an opportunity to teach people within the organization a new aspect of this thing. And I, I think that's really cool. Um, what I, I'm interested if there are other sort of learning activities, I guess, for lack of a better word, that you engage in within the, within the co-op. Um, any ideas? Well, a lot of a lot of it's more like res basically res responsive to what people are trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it comes down to you know someone saying, "Okay, I'm trying to 
do this or that and then they'll help go through that or it might you know fuel an idea i think i think um i think some people were actually asking at one point about how kickstarters are typically done which you know segues nicely into the learning process because of the heist book um down the line i have plans for a kickstarter i'm definitely going to be paying very close attention to this whole thing um but yeah a lot of it's just sort of what people seem to need um i don't think there's been any specific examples beyond that yet other than i I guess you could consider like the contracts themselves getting people into the habit of getting everything written out and official uh might be one part of it yeah the contract was a thing that jumped to my mind too that was explicitly sort of designed not really as much of like a literal legal tool certainly you know contracts Contracts are difficult to enforce at the best of times. They're a lot. They're they're probably impossible to enforce when they're kind of like these ramshackle, knocked together things that we made and distributed to people and allowed them to use their internet names in some places. But like the practice of showing people these things, as like I said, I've, I've got a couple of years under my belt. I've seen a couple of um, RPG uh, contracts and freelancer contracts. So I I, I know, and I'm also. Um, my one of my partners is a lawyer with a, a bit of experience in that field. So I know how to draft one of these things up and walking people through what each clause meant and what the legalese translates to to actual English and how to negotiate that contract was something that we wanted to make sure was kind of an explicit part of it. So it's not, like I say, it's not really to actually enforce the terms of that contract, though it is helpful to have those rules written down somewhere. It is much more so that people will look at that contract and will read that contract and will sign that contract and will know how to like navigate the, the, you know, the nitty gritty of that. And um, another really good example, I think is um, Basilisk, the, the user that reached out to you Mm -hmm. is someone who had, I, I hope that they don't mind me saying this. I believe very little, experience with doing this kind of thing, like reaching out to reviewers and interviewers and podcasters and everything else and getting, you know, that attention. And I mean, here they are now reaching out to, to, I I don't even know how many people to just sort of spread the word of, of the project and being kind of one of the biggest, most involved people in the co-op. They've really grown throughout the last couple of months. And that's something that I hope we can replicate with other people. Um, there's a, also an initiative right now where a handful of members of the co-op, I, I have worked with and I'm friends with someone who does accessibility in document design for a living. Mm-hmm. And I have brought them into the co-op um, mainly to, to teach in a very active way the, those skills to a handful of members in the co-op who have said that that's something that they're very interested in learning and very interested in pursuing, both for co-op projects and their own work. Yeah, um, I, I actually was talking to the designers of Sundam. Um, Mm-hmm. last week um and they were talking about how they had i i asked them specifically because it's mentioned on the kickstarter how they had built the game to be more accessible to um people with dyslexia mm-hmm. um and uh, it was interesting talking to them about how they had done that um so that was yeah, that was interesting to me. Um, and that is something that I have thought about in the past is like, how do I, how do I avoid people's eyes glazing over when they stare at this document? Um, right, right, right. And how does my colorblindness affect my ability to read a document uh, and things like that? Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, you can see these are very practical skills that any designer really should know, um, or at least should, should be pursuing the ability to learn. But in the abstract are kind of difficult to get into a situation where you can practice them in a place that isn't where like failure has a very sort of, sort of light, you know, if you fail at something as a designer outside of uh, an environment like a co-op, it can be pretty problematic for you. It can, it can cost you money, time, you know, et cetera. Within the co-op, I, you know, a couple of people dropped out of the short games digest volume one and they were feeling guilty about it. And I, I pointed out to them, you know, like failure within our co-op really doesn't do a great deal. Um, you don't, you don't have to worry about getting kicked out. You don't, you know, so long as there's no malice or anything intended, no one's going to stop you being a member or anything. You, you don't get disqualified from future projects. You can still sit and watch everyone else work and you still ask questions and you can still be involved in a sort of ancillary way, even if you can't finish the, the work that you said you would try to get done. And you can still learn all these skills in a place that's kind of safe um, without fear of kind of, you know, the whole world falling apart if you messed up a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think it is important, um, an important aspect of learning that is overlooked a lot by adults and not even thought about um, when you're younger is the fact that you are going to, you're not going to be amazing at everything you try. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when you look back on you know, the things that you learned to do when you were younger, you very rarely remember all the times you failed at the things that you're now good at. You only remember that you're now good at them. Um, yeah, exactly. Completely. And it is very important to give yourself permission to fail um, and to remember that that is a normal part of learning uh, and becoming better at something. Uh, and I think that's really cool that you're sort of creating a space for that. Well, um, thank you. Yeah, that's that's the hope. Mm-hmm. So I think we should probably talk a bit more specifically about the projects that you're currently working on. Um, we've talked a lot about the... Um, I will remember the name of it in a second. Um, we have talked a lot about the Short Games Digest, Uh Volume one, as well as the, uh, I think you said the it was called the Player's Guide to Heists or the, uh, or, or something. The Role like Player's that. Guide to Heists. Role yeah. Player's Guide to Heists. There we go. Um, so I think let's start by talking about the Short Games Digest Volume One, and then we'll move through that. So, what exactly is the Short Games Digest? Um, obviously, it sounds like you're going to be doing multiple volumes because this one's called Volume One. Um, so, what is it? Uh, and uh, how can people get it, I suppose? Uh, well, not they can't get it yet, but they will soon. Um, it's not quite out yet. We're, we're just waiting on um, the cover being finished, mm-hmm. which looks pretty fantastic right now. But um, the, the Short Games Digest is, I guess you would call it our flagship title, it is um, a collection of short games between 4 and 24 pages, most of them are experimental, though there are some I would call standard games in there. Um, I sort of cringe at making the distinction, but but you know, um, there it, it's I, I call it our flagship because it's the first one, and it's also kind of the the product that most typifies how we envision this whole project going. It's the games are designed by people. Um, we give people a random uh, prompt, which are submitted by. The, the co-op every time we do one of these we 
ask everybody who wants to work on it to submit two different prompts. And then we randomize and distribute these prompts to everyone. Um, you then make a game. Usually we give people about a month, but that's kind of a, a very misty deadline to write a game. And then we get the artists and editors and layout designers and what have you to, to put it all together into a beautiful little package, which we're going to be selling as a um, premium black and white hardcover uh, print on demand on drive through and probably a PDF and maybe some other things too. Um, right now, the first volume has 11 core titles and one or two people also did very short games at the end of their titles. So, you know, plenty in there. Lots of these people, this is the first published game that they've ever written. So that's also kind of a cool thing that we do. We get people their first publishing credit. Um, yeah, Chris, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think you've covered a lot of what I was thinking about it. Um, I, I One thing I really like about the just the concept of the short games uh, digest is it's like it gives you a nice wide variety of writing styles basically design styles there's so many people putting stuff into it and there's no you know overarching person that's like uh you have to keep it to this theme or this style or anything it's just make a game fit it in this many pages and we'll publish it and so it really lets you see a lot of different voices which is really nice in it the the prompt system is really good because um I'm not in the first one, but I'm in the second digest. And I, I tend to be kind of wishy-washy when I'm coming up with ideas, but the prompt I got like immediately helped focus me on something. And, you know, I think I got my draft out in what, like three pages or three days after yeah, yeah, I was yeah. given it. Like, are the, so, are the prompts particular to each designer or are they for the entire project? Like, They're for the entire uh, project they basically go into a giant list and each time we do a new digest uh, uh, someone it might be you Liam that uh, sends out the um, assignments basically using a random picker basically um, so you know you sign up for the project you submit a couple different possible themes which can be pretty much anything that could have even some tangent to a role-playing game and then not, not even not even some tangent to a role play game. Yeah, some of them some, some tangent to something that could be written about. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, something gets spit back out at you if you uh, chose to be a writer. And right. So so each writer is getting a different prompt though. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So like I, for instance, got um, f- focus on a an aspect of a different role playing game that doesn't get any attention normally. Mm. Um, and so I made a game about preparing spells. Mm, yes. Good gear. I have strong feelings about spells in <laughs> typical games. Um, yeah, cool. That's excellent. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I wasn't sure whether you were like, this digest is about video games and this digest is about, uh, Greek fantasy, uh, or if it was with that idea early on that the each digest would have a, a central idea, but it ended up just being a lot more fun to to let everyone make you know a, a big old mess of stuff. Um, yeah, I think that that is going to be easier too. Yeah, for sure. We, I mean, it, you know, we're we're still early days. Um, we hope to knock one of these out once every uh, like quarter, every season, um, which may not end up 
happening exactly that way, but that's the dream um, that we will, this will be kind of like a constantly mm-hmm. churning thing. Um, we had 11 people work on the first one and we've now got, I think, don't quote me on this, like 15 writers for the second one. So like it's at least for the first two, we're not slowing down at all. And it may be that one day in the future we say, you know, we're going to make one on this subject or that subject. But for now, I think the random uh, generator thing is a lot of fun. Um, and and has produced some pretty interesting concepts already. My yeah. favorite for volume two, um, I really love love Chris's. Chris's because um, I, I also am a big fan of magic and those systems and games, and just the idea of playing with one of those. One of my big disappointments for uh, Invisible Sun was that it sort of almost has a really interesting magic management system, but doesn't quite go all the way. And Chris came along with you know they're almost one of their one of their earliest published games and just has this really really cool concept i'm really looking forward to that but my favorite is um someone got wish delivery as their theme and rather than write a game about i don't know being the genie from aladdin or something they wrote a game where buying stuff from wish.com the like chinese mm-hmm. seller site is like your randomness mechanic uh, and like that sort of creativity that spawned from some of these ideas has just blown me away. There's someone who's written a game that's done entirely through texting um, your mm, friends. Nice. Yeah, there's lots of just really fun stuff going on. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. I um, I'm writing a game uh, that is about exploring the morality of being people learning how to use magic, and the uh, there's. The mechanics of the game are all about learning lessons, not about casting magic, because casting magic is easy to you. Um, mm. The way that it is managed is you have to... The player has to make a physical copy of their character's spell book. You can only cast spells that you have in your spell book, but you oh. decide what your spell book is, what the spells look like, um, what the spells can do and how they are cast. So it might just be, oh, I just have to touch this symbol on my uh, on my book, and it uh, and the spell activates. It's like that's fine, but you have to have made the physical artifact. Um, that's so cool. That's pretty yeah. cool, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, so yes, I'm very excited to see what Chris has come up with, and also to see the other artwork that's coming from that. Um, I think we probably have enough time. Oh, oh, actually, do we know when the, um, roughly, uh, when the short game digest is likely to be released? When can people be looking for that? My fingers are crossed that it should be sometime at the end of this month. My fingers are crossed for that. Okay. Um, Right now it is in the hand of the artists that we have for the cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And they sort of, I believe had some rough times last month, but now they're back on track and and doing some really wonderful work. So So sometime in the next few months then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, I think we have enough time to talk about your, the other upcoming project, the um, role plays guide to heists. Um, What exactly is that going to be? So basically, um, any any designer probably knows this feeling of having too many ideas and not enough kind of time to write them down and not enough room to kind of talk about them and, and create them. And the Role Player's Guide to Heist was this idea that I had in the back of my head for a fairly long time um, of a system agnostic book about 
that was sort of a large collection of let's say 30 or so heists um, that, that, you know, the reader could take ideas or rip wholesale and drop them into their setting or into their game to run. Cause who doesn't like a good heist, right? Um, and heists are often fairly difficult to, to write and fairly difficult to run just because they're, they're complex machines when, when you get down to it. Um, and so it seemed like a pretty fun idea to write it, um, but I could never really find the space or time to do it. But given that it was a Kickstarter project in my head and given that this co-op needed something to, to guide people through Kickstarters because Kickstarter is such a fundamentally important part of our community, part of our industry right now, it seemed natural to kick it to the, the co-op. At its, at its core, like I say, it's um, a collection of about 30-ish heists um, written in a system agnostic way, so they can be used in any, in any system. Um, each heist contains sort of a description of security systems and foes you might meet and complications you might run into and what the building looks like and plot hooks and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Um, and they span from very standard bank job style heists to like someone's writing one where they're stealing from a wizard's tower Someone's writing one. Uh, my personal favorite is the one where someone is writing about stealing the book itself from your local friendly game store. Um, someone's writing a Williams, Carlos Williams heist where you steal plums from the icebox. Um, it gets a little weird, but mostly they're, they're pretty standard stuff. Um, yeah. There's also going to be a collection of uh, essays and short stories, flash fiction, that sort of thing to break up each heist. Yeah, nice. That's very cool. Um, and that will be on Kickstarter at some point. Mm-hmm. We're very early days on that right yeah, now. Yeah, no, definitely um, I'm, understandable. Mark your calendars for at some point. Yeah, <laughs> in the future. <laughs> in the far-off year of 2002. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine it be too much past, uh, let's say... Let, let's say sometime after August, not too long after that. I think we'll probably be ready to go on that. Well, I look forward to interviewing you again sometime after August in the lead up to your Kickstarter, which will be an excellent opportunity to uh, have another person learn how to do uh, interviews, I suppose. Um, it has been fantastic talking to you uh, both. Um, it's been really uh, interesting and uh, insightful, actually. Um, if people want to uh, keep abreast of what the co-op is doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Is there like a co-op Twitter that you use to promote your stuff? Um, we, um, we, we, right now we just use the hashtag San Gennaro co-op, uh, all one word. Obviously it's a hashtag. Uh, that's where you can see where pretty much anyone who's working on the project will say like, Hey, I just, you know, finish my game for the short game side, just of San Gennaro co-op and doing that. You can basically see everyone that's working on it in various capacities. Um, and then I think most of us have a Twitter. I don't know if there's anything else being developed, Liam. <laughs> you could just join the, the discord also. Yeah, that would work too. Even if you're not a designer, even if you, you don't want to get involved with games design, that's perfect. You can just join and, and hang out with us and, and chat with us. We're all very approachable. Um, we, we love having folks join in just to, to hang out. And if you are a designer or a writer or a artist or a layout designer, if you have any skills that you think or an you editor, want, yeah, anything that you want to leverage into the games community, you could feel free to drop in and sign up and, and keep an eye out for when we do calls for projects. Uh, 
volume, Short Games Digest Volume 3 is not going to be too far away, and I'm sure someone's going to come up with something to work on before then. Yeah, wonderful. Excellent. A very, it's very cool. Um, if people want to find each of you on Twitter or follow the work that you're doing, how? what's the best way for them to do that? Chris? Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and uh, Patreon as uh, Falconian Productions, and I also do Twitch streaming. A lot of the time it's gaming, but uh, here and there I'll break it up with uh, different tabletop games I'm running or playing in. Um, actually, the the Short Games Digest game I was talking about that I made, I playtested on there, and I plan to playtest some of, not playtest, just play some of the first Digest uh, games on there, too. Um, so. and, and you can find me at uh, Sandy Pug Games on Twitter. I'm all over the place, but that's that's the place where I post the most, which is cool. either a selling point or a, or a great negative, depending on if you like my posts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do recall... Uh, when it was mentioned in the email chain, I was like, oh, oh, hang on. I know of this company. <laughs> um, when uh, Sandy Pug was mentioned, I was like, oh, okay, okay, all right. This has, this has just gotten even more interesting as a potential uh, thing. Of course, very interested from the get-go because it was a very, it was, a, it, it was an odd email experience because I'm not used to people emailing me um, interview requests like that. Normally it's like, hey, I'm a designer and I have this game coming out. Please interview me. Um, (laughs) And this one was like, hi, I'm part of this cool new experimental RPG project. Um, We're doing all this wild stuff to try and address wage inequality in the RPG industry. Uh, and also we've got some products coming out as well. And, uh, yeah, we'd really love to love for you to interview us. Like it was, it, it was, I was very impressed. Um, it was a very good, uh, an interesting, uh, thing that you're doing and it really caught my eye. So I'm really glad that I got to talk to you about it. Um, the basilisk for setting, um, this up like they're going to be running the show within a couple of months you watch. yeah Bas- basilis did amazing on the emailing um excellent wonderful fantastic it was a pleasure talking to you if you enjoyed listening to this interview we have a bunch more on our website um you can find it by clicking on the interview tags or the interview uh, category uh on soundcloud or uh, our main website Um, We have interviews from Australian game designers, editors. Um, We have an interview with Olivia Hill, as mentioned earlier. Um, And we are trying more and more to get more interviews with people within the game industry that don't get focused on a lot. In the tabletop RPG industry, we see a lot of interviews from people who write games um, and not a lot of interview from people that work on the art for games or do layout or do editing. So those are things that we're trying to get more of in the future. Um, and what makes doing those interviews possible is our supporters on Patreon. So thank you to all of our supporters over there on Patreon for paying for web hosting and paying for uh, conference call software and uh, all of that. Uh, wonderful stuff, um, batteries for portable recording systems like that. Uh, but 
for now, I want to thank you both for coming on and talking to us. Um, and uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>